hour number two of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week and sometimes the events of our often bizarre lives. And we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion heard on 22 different radio stations throughout this formerly great nation of ours. And uh, Leah, I hope um, our listeners Got a chance to listen to the entire interview we just did with the Congressman, Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth from uh, Louisville. If you didn't, it'll be on our podcasts, uh, which will be available Monday morning at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com, which you should check out anyway, because there's lots of good stuff there for uh, your edification at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But as far as the headlines are concerned, I I thought we learned a couple of interesting things things from Congressman Yarmouth. He believes that Bernie Sanders is attacking Hillary Clinton out of ego. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that he wouldn't, he didn't say this, but it's clear he agrees that uh, Bill Clinton, if not senile, has lost his fastball and um, is maybe not all with it. Uh, he, and you know, we didn't get into it, but I tell you, Hillary Clinton is too. Well, if, if, if judging by the way she tries to get on the subway in New York City is any indication. Um, and by the way, you know, that subway story, while certainly not the most important thing in the world, if a Republican had had the same difficulty getting in the subway as no. Hillary Clinton, we would never hear the end of it. Um, instead, it's a one half day story. Uh, let's move on. And that's the, the advantage that Democrats always have, especially those of the chosen class like Hillary Clinton. Uh, he agrees, obviously, with uh, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz being unelectable um and um and i I thought you did a good job grilling him on um on the black lives matter situation with the kentucky derby could but see what we learned there is just how beholden every liberal democrat or any democrat really is to the black lives matter cause they they aren't allowed to say anything negative because it's inherently racist which of course proves the whole point of the absurdity of the entire affair which is why it's it's ridiculous that Bill Clinton effectively uh, apologized this week after uh, taking on a protester from Black Lives Matters. They are intimidated. They're completely right. intimidated. And I, I thought Bill Clinton handled it well. Now that's I half joked. It was only half joking that Bill Clinton is now ahead of John Kasich in the GOP primary race. I mean, he would probably yep. if he was on the ballot, he might do better than John Kasich in some states. Yes, exactly. Uh, based upon his most recent statements. All right, now let's go to our weekly uh, look at the uh, the race more specifically for the White House 2016. There were a couple of important, although maybe overrated, primaries on both the Republican and Democratic side in Wisconsin. And, Leah, give us uh, what happened there. Well, so the Wisconsin primaries kind of played out like the polls had suggested that they would. Ted Cruz wins a little over 48%. Trump comes in second with 35%. And the egotistical maniac John Kasich screws (laughs) over both of them with 14%. So Ted Cruz walks away, 36 delegates, Trump gets six, Kasich gets none. Um, On the Dem side, it also played out like the polls. Bernie Sanders winning his seventh primary or caucus out of the last eight. He got 56.5%. Clinton won 43%. And as we talked about with uh, Congressman Yarmouth, uh, Sanders also won Wyoming. All right, now. Here, there's a couple of things I want to say about the Wisconsin results. The first is I didn't hear anyone else say anything like this, and that's often what we do on the John and Leah show. We say things no one else does for whatever reason. Isn't it interesting and an indication of just how fragmented we have become as a society that the same state, Wisconsin, can vote for Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz? Yes, 
I mean, you know, you can, you can, you could kind of understand if they voted for Sanders and Trump, right? If if, if a state did that, they're, right? They're just, you know, unorthodox. They're anti-establishment. You know, you can't put them in a box, or they're just flat out crazy, depending on how you want to look at it. But Cruz is as far right as you can possibly get in today's politics, Correct. and Sanders is as far left as you can possibly get. <laughs> and and the reason why this is, it's one interesting. That, that two groups of people in the same state could think so vastly differently. But it also, I think, illustrates one of the many things that's driven me crazy in this entire process, and there have been a lot of those, uh, but one of them is how how little people understand, especially on the conservative side, especially those who are supporters of Donald Trump, understand about how the diff- how vastly different general elections are from primary elections. I can't tell you how many times people on Twitter and Facebook say, but John, but John, this happened in a primary and Trump won this primary or Cruz won blah, that primary. Blah, uh, right? blah, blah. It's, it's, comple- it's apples and oranges. It is. It's apples and oranges. Because there is, there is no chance that Bernie Sanders um, would win Wisconsin against the mainstream Republican in the general election. And there's nope. no chance that Ted Cruz would beat Hillary Clinton in Wisconsin in a general election. There's just mm-hmm. n- no chance. And so so people look at these primary results and they give to them a value that they don't warrant. And and speaking of that, I think Wisconsin got vastly overrated mainly because of the fact that the media is bored. There's nothing else on the schedule. There there hadn't been anything for a couple weeks before, and there's nothing for a couple weeks afterwards. And they want something to happen. They want a storyline. They want a new narrative. And so that's why Wisconsin all of a sudden became this big Waterloo for Donald Trump. Now, I'm someone who believes that Trump is in trouble. Trump Trump's ship is listing and it's leaking. I mean, there's no question about that. He's doing a terrible job on the, in the fight for delegates, whether that's on purpose or out of incompetence. I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, but, we're, you know, Drudge is all over what's going on in Colorado, where where he's basically getting shut out of Colorado. He's, he got shut out of, in, a, in a couple of situations in other states recently. I mean, he's had a horrible few weeks delegates-wise. But the reality is he's still winning by... <laughs> like 250 delegates. He still right. has New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and California where he's leading and in Ted all Cruz of them. And Ted Cruz is not going to get any of those. So I don't believe he is. I, <laughs> uh-uh. I, I mean, so, so Trump is going to increase his lead barring some catastrophic event. Uh, and, and, you know, if he wins New York as the current polls indicate, and I don't know if he will or not, but he's, he's over 50% in every single poll in New York. If that holds... If he gets in the 54-55 range and that's holds statewide, he it's gets done. he gets every single delegate. Right. Every single one. That's 90, I think 95 delegates. So, um to me, I I've, I've said this numerous times, Ted Cruz well, he has done an admirable job, and it's wonderful that he's a, a, a principled conservative and a constitutionalist and all that. And I think it's great that he's in the Senate, and he'd make a great Supreme Court justice maybe someday, all that, blah, blah, blah. But here's, here's the thing. His campaign isn't that much different than what Rick Santorum run, ran. Yeah, if, if you look at the results state by state, Rick Santorum actually ran ahead of Ted Cruz in some states. Now, a couple of things have happened recently that have ch- altered that. One, the race has gotten down to two and a half men, uh, with Kasich being the half. And yeah. But if you look at the, the states where Cruz has really done great, Utah and Wisconsin – 
there was he was on steroids in both of those states. One because of the Romney endorsement in Utah and the fact that Utah people and Mormons hate Donald, Donald Trump, Trump with a special brand of passion, and understandably so. So that's why he did so well in Utah. And then in Wisconsin, you've got Scott Walker, a very popular two-term Republican governor who should have it – was, it was so aggravating to have to watch Scott Walker raise Ted Cruz's hand in victory after Wisconsin on a night that should have been Scott Walker's night. This, in theory, should have been the night he clinched the Republican nomination if Donald Trump had never gotten in. I think that's probably what would have happened, or at least would have been a darn good chance. I blame him. He got out too soon. He gave up too soon. So it's his own fault. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. He gave up too soon. All right, wait. I need to. We're we're up against the break, so I need to take this up when we come back. You're listening to the John and Leah Show. If you ever have trouble sleeping, do yourself a favor, folks, and listen up. It might just change your life. I know it had a big impact on mine. I'm talking about using MyPillow. You may have seen MyPillow's owner, Mike Lindell, on their TV commercials. Well, MyPillow is fit just for you, the kind of sleeper you are, on your back or your side or how big or small you are. I love MyPillow, and my wife and daughter use theirs as well. Obviously, a good night's sleep is a life changer. And now's your chance to take advantage of this special offer. Buy one MyPillow and we'll give you one for your partner for free. Don't waste another night on bad sleep. Life's too short. Call 800-871-1827. That's 800-871-1827. Use the promo code JL for the John and Leah Show for your free pillow and start sleeping better right away. Call 800-871-1827 or go to MyPillow.com and be sure to use that promo code JL for two life-changing pillows made in America with a 10-year warranty, all for the price of one. That's MyPillow.com. John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website, which you definitely need to check out, is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And, and Leah, before we move on to other matters related to the race to the White House 2016 and our weekly look at uh, that uh, crazy situation, especially on the GOP side, I need to address what you said in the last segment about uh, Scott Walker quitting yes. the race too soon. And I know you're a little loopy from your post-surgery medication, <laughs> but I don't want you to, re- to revise history here, okay? Because what Scott Walker did was actually an act of courage, and if mm. others don't grumble at me, uh, at least not yet, let me finish. Um, if others had, had followed suit, remember what he said when he, when he got out of the race. He said, I'm calling on others, this means you, Jeb Bush, I'm calling on others to do the same. And it was all because he understood the danger of the Trump candidacy. He, but nobody did. He should have stayed in. But what good would that have done? He was down to like 2% in the polls. He had created a ginormous infrastructure because he had been the front runner in the race until Trump got in. Once you start contracting your campaign, there's no going back. He would have been humiliated. His future prospects would have been destroyed. And more importantly, he understood that Trump needed to be stopped. And that the only way to do that was for people to get the hell out of the race. People like Jeb Bush, who were blocking the path of people like Marco Rubio, who Walker knew 
was the only guy who really had a chance to win in the fall, which is why he talked about Rubio potentially being his vice presidential nominee before Trump got in and was the hurricane that turned everybody's boats upside down, including Walker's. So what Walker did was not only the right thing, it was an act of courage. It was an act that was based in what was best for the country and the party, and no one else followed suit because everyone else is an egomaniac, including Chris Christie and Jeb Bush and John Kasich, who's still an egomaniac, as you referred to him, uh, yes. correctly as so, going you know for nobody else's benefit but his own. Um, and although you know it's bizarre to me that both Trump and Cruz have convinced themselves that Kasich staying in is bad for them. I find that weird. Uh, it's pretty clear to me, at least, that it's mostly bad for Cruz because. You've got to you have to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. I, I realize that it's possible that some Kasich voters would eventually vote for Trump, but my guess is anybody who was not in the Trump camp already probably is never going to be in the Trump camp. And so we, we give the, another non-Trump option. A certain percentage of people are going to take it, especially when you know. Let's face it, Ted Cruz is not exactly Mr. Likeability. So. <laughs> Anyway, look, I, I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. Not that it, you know, at this point. What difference at this point does it exactly. make? Exactly. Not, not that much. And well, you I mean, know at, what? At this point, I would have, w- I would have wished that he would have stayed in and fought. Well, okay. Instead of dumping out early because would, he thought everybody would follow his lead. It wouldn't work. But by the way, you know, I should take back. The, the clip from Hillary that I just played there, because just this week there was an article uh, in a liberal publication. I think it was the Huffington Post or maybe I'm not sure which liberal publication it was. Uh, so No, actually, it wasn't a liberal. It was the National Review that came out and said, you know what, uh, maybe Scott Walker is the guy who's going to emerge in an open convention. And I could I thought, wait a maybe. minute. Yeah, there, there is the reason why that's never going to happen is because it's too perfect, and nothing in life ever happens so perfectly. There's no, there's no the way. Rumor is that it's going to be Marco Rubio. Is no, that? No. Is there no. any possibility no. that happens? No, but here's here's why I don't think it. I think we are headed for some form of an open contested convention, um, and I've said that if Trump doesn't win on the first ballot, he's probably not going to be the nominee. Uh, and that most of those people who are going to be voting for him at the convention are not really Trump people. Correct. Uh, so, so is it theoretically possible that a Scott Walker or a Marco Rubio could emerge? I guess, but you're going to have, you know, at least seven or eight hundred, maybe more people who are either committed to Cruz or Kasich who are very much not going to be uh, liking that idea. Uh, and so the I, the notion that somehow. Uh, you're going to have 1,237 delegates suddenly gravitate to one of these people who have already dropped out seems far-fetched to me. What's going to be the facilitator for that? How's it going to happen? Who's the person that's going to start the herd in that direction? (laughs) We don't have anybody. See, I've said that from day one. They have Obama to be able to guide them. We don't have anybody. We don't trust anybody on our side. We can't trust anybody. Well, that's a fair point. I can, I understand why we don't trust anybody, because there's good reasons why we don't trust anybody, <laughs> not even Mitt Romney. All right, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about Cruz and Trump and where we are in that race on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can check out the updated and I think increasingly interesting official John and Leah Show odds for who will win the GOP nomination and who will be the next president of the United States. They have changed a little bit in the last week as I think the odds of Donald Trump being the nominee have gone down. I still think they're over 50% because he has a lot of advantages, but his ship is listing and as is also taking on water, as I referred to earlier on in the hour. But in this segment, I want to focus mostly on Ted Cruz, Leah, because I think, um, I think my side has pretty much won among rational people. Unfortunately, there's not that many of them out there. But we correct me if I'm wrong, Leah, my side has won the argument that Donald Trump cannot beat Hillary Clinton in a general election. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's correct. Pretty, it's pretty well accepted among rational people that that's not going to happen, barring a catastrophe. And what I mean by catastrophe is a major terrorist attack that is particularly well-timed and, you know, somehow she doesn't slither out of. Um, and it's what I've always said. No, you have would said be that. the one no, that would cause it. No, you're right. You're you're exactly right. Um, that is at this point about the only logical scenario where Trump would beat her, and in most scenarios he would get crushed. And it's not because Hillary's a good candidate. She is a horrific candidate. She's just horrendous. I, I, I'm the first to acknowledge that. But it doesn't matter. Well. <laughs> uh. It doesn't matter because with Trump, he solves her number one problem, which is turnout enthusiasm. He will be a negative turnout machine if he's the nominee. Now, I hope you heard uh, my our, our conversation with Congressman John Yarmouth, Democrat from Louisville, in the last hour because uh, he agrees with me wholeheartedly about Trump. But he went further than even I have on Cruz. He thinks that Cruz would be an even easier target because uh, of the fact that uh, Trump and Cruz uh, appeal to different segments of the population. And I'm paraphrasing here, but Trump's a bit more unpredictable. Cruz is highly predictable. And you, know, yes. you know exactly what he's going to say and, and who he's gonna, who's going to turn out to vote for him. And here's the thing that I'm, I, I have not yet won the argument uh, with Cruz people, that he cannot beat Hillary. Uh, and it's going to be a more difficult argument, although it shouldn't be, because... <laughs> The other side, here's the other side's argument. I love this, Leah. Tell me if you've heard this before. In fact, you've probably heard this from the candidate himself, Ted Cruz, that somehow Ted Cruz is going to put together the Reagan coalition, that Reagan Democrats are going to vote for Ted Cruz, and that if we have a real conservative, a rock rib conservative, and not a whooshy one, not someone who's going to wimp out, and a really great debater, that all of this is going to bring us back to 1980 and 1984, and we're a conservative country, and that will sweep us to victory. Have you heard that argument? I've heard that argument before. In fact, uh, I believed that argument for a while, and then you convinced me that it's pie in the sky. And I'm curious, what... What did I say that convinced you of that? Because that doesn't happen well, often that I convince you of anything. So <laughs> I, I want to know for future reference what worked. Well, you hit me with the fact that the entire country demographically has changed yes. since the 1980s. And, uh, you know, we're not living in that time anymore. And so we needed to expand. And he doesn't do that. 
plus the fact that I even I am a huge Ted Cruz fan. Right. And to hear his delivery sometimes makes me cringe. Right. And I think you're very honest about that, and I appreciate that. By the way, here's the one fact that I you may even be referencing even subconsciously, which startled even me. I did not realize that Mitt Romney won a greater percentage of the white vote than Ronald Reagan ever did. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So think about that, folks. Mitt Romney won a greater percentage of white votes in 2012 than Ronald Reagan did in 1980 or 84 when he won in landslides. That's how much the demographics have changed. It's not as if Reagan was winning a lot of black votes or, or you know, <laughs> a, a other. The point of this is the percentage of the population that's white has shrunk. It has shrunk significantly, so significantly that Romney did better among whites than Ronald Reagan and lost. And didn't, it wasn't even that close. Um, the other thing about this is uh, it's amazing to me that no one ever talks about the Electoral College and the fact that you need to get 270 Electoral College votes to win. Right. Nobody from the Cruz camp has ever addressed which states is Ted Cruz going to win that Mitt Romney, that Romney didn't. didn't. I mean, because there's not one that he's well-suited to do better than Romney in. Not one! No. All right, so let's let's go through those states okay. so that people know. Right. The first one is Virginia, where he's incredibly poorly suited. He didn't win the Republican primary in Virginia, but most importantly, he shut down the government. And now, there you have it. So th- that's it. That's the end of Virginia. You, you just write it right off. Goodbye. Goodbye, Virginia. There's nothing but federal employees right. in Virginia. Yeah, not, no chance of possible. I mean, <laughs> there's no way to win Virginia. Um against Hillary Clinton with Ted Cruz. So you're gone, okay. you know, a big big one's gone right there. But now you got to also win Florida and Ohio. Now, I'm not saying that Cruz is particularly poorly suited to win Ohio or Florida, but he's like the third or fourth best Republican candidate in those states. We had Rubio in Florida. Trump won the Republican primary in Florida. You got Kasich as the governor of Ohio. Cruz got crushed. He wasn't competitive in either the Ohio or the Florida primary. Um, And and those are must-win states that are very difficult for a Republican to win under current demographics. So how does Cruz win them when Romney didn't? I don't see how that works. Now, what? so so you got to come up with some other states. Now, Walker could could have won Wisconsin. I don't yes. see I don't see how Cruz possibly wins Wisconsin. Iowa. I think Iowa is a possibility. Iowa does not like Hillary. They seem to like Cruz. There's a lot of evangelicals there. I think Cruz would have a fighting chance in Iowa. But guess what? You take the Romney states and you add Iowa, guess who's still president? Hillary Clinton. What about Colorado? Theoretically possible. There's been some polling there where Cruz is behind. Uh, He doesn't get the Hispanic bounce that Rubio got because he's not considered to be authentically Hispanic like Rubio was. Yeah, he's not the real Hispanic. Right, even though his name is. And and by the way, these are poll numbers before, as John, Congressman Yarmouth, said, you know, I asked him how many many ads are they going to run with him shutting down the government by reading Dr. Seuss in the floor of the Senate? And he said, how much does a billion dollars buy? I mean, and that's going to destroy him. He's already losing to Hillary. 
in all the key states and all the national polls, not by a lot, but by an, enough where it's a significant margin. And that's before they've destroyed him. And he's easily destroyed because the people who, I'll say this almost every week, the people who determine who wins general elections in modern American politics are who are easily convinced by simple stuff like, oh, he shut down the government. Oh, there he is reading Dr. Seuss in the Florida Senate while the government shut down. That well, don't he's seem an right. Idiot. Right, exactly. And, and the and the media will allow the Democrats to. In fact, they'll not only they'll not just carry the water; they'll fill the water buckets for them on the issue. <laughs> I mean, so so there's no question. Cruz's numbers. This is what I love. Tell me the scenario where Cruz's numbers get better after he's the nominee could someone give me that scenario oh oh he'll win the debates if if we were doing lincoln douglas if we were doing lincoln douglas debates yeah he probably would win we don't do lincoln douglas debates we do oh um let's see Uh, the republican said this the democrat said this this was rude that the republican said that and it was inaccurate and probably racist and boy didn't hillary look presidential exactly that's how it goes in modern day you you for Cruz to destroy Hillary in a debate, which would have to happen for the for the numbers to change dramatically, he'll be mean and sexist. Exactly. Thank you, Leah. And I mean, look, we saw what happened in 2012. Romney cleaned Obama's clock in the first debate. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. They, I mean, while there are opportunities, there are rare opportunities to hit an audience you can't normally get to, especially as a Republican, when the liberals dominate the news media, they're not that decisive anymore. They're, they're just not. And, um, and Romney proved that. And so, you know, I just don't see what the scenario is where Cruz beats Hillary. And I think Hillary is a terrible, horrible, horrendous candidate. Now, that being said, there's some advantages to Cruz. That I, as I told Congressman Yarmouth, I don't think we lose the House. I think we got a shot of holding on the Senate, mainly because the the media would hate a Cruz Hillary uh, uh, general election matchup. It would be boring as all get out. Um, the the ratings would be terrible. The the they would be not none of the massive turnout that would be driven if it was Trump Hillary, um, and so. So that helps Republicans. Anything that diminishes turnout is good for Republicans on the Senate and the congressional side. So if you want to hold on to the Senate and the House, you know, Cruz is probably the better person to go with than Trump. I, you know, frankly, at this point, uh, I'm not sure I really care that much about the, the Senate and the House. I mean, I care a little bit. But oh, my not- gosh. Well, I mean, you, you're the one who hates the, the, the establishment in the Senate and the House, so I'm not sure why you would care. I mean, Well, you, because if the Senate or the House or both of them, then we get socialism. I agree with Even that. Even worse. I agree with that totally. I think it's significant, but it's it's hard for me to get all worked up about it anymore because we've been betrayed so often. Well, that's uh, true. Um, and so, um, look, I mean, this has been the craziest uh, cycle ever. I mean, it's not one of, it's the most insane uh, cycles of all time. And I still don't know exactly how it's all going to turn out. I just know that barring a catastrophe, Hillary's going to be the next president. Be, I mean, if, and it's a trap. You've got her at 91%. No, no, it should be 89%. 
Unless it says 91 on the website. Oh, well, that was a mistake. That it's Not that it makes that much difference, but <laughs> but it should be 89%. Um, I, I believe that she's... And Donald a, Trump at five. <laughs> right. I, I believe that right now, officially, it should be 89% Hillary will be the next president. Um, and she's not getting indicted, folks. So please stop with that. Please. Can we please stop with the nonsense? All right. Um, that's enough for this week on the race of the White House 2016. We've got a bunch of other stories I want to get to, including this very odd... Uh, situation involving former Speaker Dennis Hastert. Uh, we got that uh, North Carolina bathroom law, which uh, Bruce Springsteen is all upset about. Oh, and, and and the worst, the by far the worst customer service situation of my life, I'll tell you about in hour number three, uh, because the police were called, and I'm not exaggerating, and uh, we'll tell you all about it when we continue with the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And because, um, obviously, this is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network, and because I wrote a book called The Death of Free Speech, which no one paid any attention to, even though it was remarkably prescient, far more prescient than I ever dreamed it would be or ever wanted it to be back in 2005 when I wrote that book. I feel an ob- bring it back. I, when I, I feel an obligation, good luck with that, uh, <laughs> I uh, feel an obligation uh, and a compulsion to discuss uh, whenever free speech issues are in the news. And this week there was yet another survey of our college students indicating just how imperiled our free speech rights are today and will be in the future once those college kids are actually running things. Um, and what's really remarkable about this, Leah, is that, you know, it wasn't that long ago when where college and academia was the bastion of free speech. So that's important for context here, okay? This is where free speech was supposed to matter, where it was supposed to be defended. It didn't matter if you were right or wrong, but I'm going to fight to the death for your right to say it, no matter how ridiculous it is. That's what used to be the uh, academic position, um, but no longer. Now, we live in uh, very politically correct times, and if you don't have the correct point of view, your speech doesn't matter. So here's here's a remarkable result. There, there were a couple questions by Gallup. First one was, if you had to choose, this is of college students, do you think it is more important for colleges to create a positive learning environment for all students by prohibiting certain speech or expression mm. of viewpoints that are offensive or biased against certain groups of people? Or to create an open learning environment where students are exposed to all types of speech and viewpoints, even if it means allowing speech that is offensive or biased against certain groups of people. Now, B, B, B. It's always B. Well, interestingly, now, that question was clearly um, was phrased in a way to get a particular response. And the response to that question wasn't as horrific as the next one, but this one is interesting. 78% of students said it was more important that students were exposed to all types of speech, but 22% said it was more important to ban offensive or biased speech. Now, think about that, folks. That is a direct contradiction of the First Amendment in every way possible, and yet 22% of college students were like, 
completely fine with that. Yeah, cool, great. Let's ban offensive or biased. Biased! Biased! By the way, the definition of biased speech can be anything, literally. Well, biased speech means Republican. Of course it does, but by definition... Anything could be determined to be biased that's in, in the, remotely in the realm of opinion. But here's the most remarkable and disturbing result. A supermajority of college students said that they were open to certain kinds of speech restrictions. 69% of these special snowflakes believe that colleges should be allowed to ban, quote, using slurs and other language on campus that is intentionally offensive to certain groups. While 63% believe that they should be able to ban wearing costumes that stereotype certain racial or ethnic groups, which again is open to obvious interpretation. 27% of college students support banning political opinions that certain groups find upsetting or offensive. Okay, that's fine. Pro-abortion. That's upsetting and offensive. Let's ban it. 27%, Leah, of college students. These are supposed to be the best and the brightest. 27% not only don't respect the First Amendment, they want to crap all over it. But the 69% is really amazing. Because that's obviously, as I mentioned, a supermajority of college students think that colleges should be allowed to ban intentionally offensive language. Now, what is intentionally offensive? Intentionally offensive can be anything, especially when liberals are deciding what's intentionally offensive. Because that's what will happen, folks. If, if those are the rules, the people making the decisions are all liberals. They're liberals in the media. They're liberals in academia. They're liberals in in political positions. It is liberals who will determine what is it that is intentionally offensive. And frankly, almost everything I do would be be deemed intentionally offensive. (laughs) I'm not not kidding. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Almost almost everything I have done in my career would be would be deemed intentionally offensive by somebody. And by the way, you know what this means, you know, taking it out of the theoretical, putting it into the practical. And, and, you know, I realize we're joking to a certain degree, but this is very, very serious. If that ever becomes the rule and we're dangerously close to it becoming the rule, it's going to be with the FCC. Well, it doesn't even have to be to the FCC, but I can see us going in that direction. But but here's the reality, Leah. Think about this logically. If intentionally offensive speech is banned, that means that there are that will it be impossible, impossible for anyone to report about highly controversial topics, topics about race, right. top, topics about, uh, you know, rape, for instance, basically yes. any anything starting with an R, race or rape or Republicans, religion, religion, religion Republicans, rape and, and race, anything starting with an R, it's inherently offensive and therefore intentionally offensive because after all you should have known you can't talk about any of the r's if you talk about an r in an offensive manner that's obviously intentional because you should know better we live in a politically correct society that's how it would be determined and so inherently anything that is highly controversial you wouldn't even have to ban it 
because the chilling effect would be so great. Oh, sure. That people wouldn't do it. Yeah, because if you did, you'd get that other R removed. Yeah, you're done. Goodbye. You're removed from polite society. You're now a crackpot. You're a nut job. You're not one of the club anymore. <laughs> if you're in the media, you lose your gig, which is worse yes. than death. And therefore, the media will never touch, ever touch anything that is contrarian or highly controversial. Now, speaking of such things, there's a couple of topics in the news that fit into that category perfectly, which we will discuss in a highly offensive matter. Intentionally. <laughs> Intentionally offensive and controversial <laughs> manner when we return on the John and Leah show.